We're rolling, Nick, in three, two, one, cue intro. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible, with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast. That's a very relaxing intro, I think. I think I'm going to stick with that one for a while. I keep changing it, which is you're probably not supposed to do when you have something like this, but I just keep changing it anyway. I don't care. I don't follow the rules. Never have. On the show today from across the pond, we have Nick Wildman. Thank you for being here, Nick. It's good to chat to you, Mark, and uh, thanks for welcoming me on your show. Well, it is a pleasure. It's been really interesting to me that um, how the UK audience has been growing and it's very very important to me because I know from the UK veterans that we have here in Canada of which there are quite a few that the UK is underserving their veterans that uh, I mean it's it's tough no matter where you go everybody complains about veterans affairs but in the UK I know that there's just not enough help so every story that I can get from UK that helps my brothers and sisters over there, it is good. So my first question for you today, Nick Wildman, why did you steal a yacht? Tell me about Army Jail. (laughs) Straight in there, Mark, right? Um, Straight into it. Yeah, well, listen, I joined the Army for an adventure, right? And uh, I wasn't getting it where I was, so... uh, uh, and where I was at that time was, you're talking about the mid-80s, uh, I, was, I was stuck in Germany, you know, and um, Cold War soldier, so nothing going on, you know, absolutely nothing. And uh, you know what it's like, you finish basic training, you, um, you go to a unit and uh, you get there and it's like everything stops, isn't it? And uh, you look around and nothing was going on, the people around there were, you know, don't get me wrong, there's some good good blokes around there, but, you know, it was all just exercise. And when, when you actually uncovered what was what was actually point of being there, and then we had a three-minute, um, three or, you know, under under you know, a few minutes uh, before the, the Red Army rolled over the top of you, you were just thinking, well, this is just a pointless exercise. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I think I, I probably wasn't mature enough to make the best of the opportunity, being... Uh, it's probably putting it politely. Um, what trade were you? And so I was, well, I started off as a plant operator mechanic in the uh, engineers. And, uh, I mean, you do all your combat engineer and then you pick a trade. And, again, you don't know anything about what these trades are. I mean, I was to- I went into it totally blind. I just <laughs> took so a seat and I got in the office. And what do you got in infantry? Well, is- what is it? I don't know. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounded all right. He said, you know, you get a, you get a trade, and then it pays. It's, uh, it was something like a, uh, an A trade, so it got an extra, you know, you got an extra £2.50 a week or something. Ooh, we call those uh, spec trades. Yeah. So, um, but 
it, it, to be honest, I was hopeless at it. I really was, and uh, it just caused more damage than uh, than good, really. And uh, later, I, tr- I, I sort of reverted to a combat engineer. So, uh, in answer to your question, um, why did we steal the yacht? Well, first of all, we were drunk. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's that's, that, that, that's usually a part of the story. <laughs> if you if you, uh, if you talk to any engineers and uh, German, especially ones in Germany, I think. You know, I walked into a sort of drinking culture there, which is, man, you know, I mean, it, it was just incredible what, what the, how, how it was all structured, you know, all around drinking, you know, Wednesday afternoons, Friday in the squadron bar. You know, if you happen to make a few errors, it was, yeah, you buy a few crates in. And, you know, I like to drink and stuff, but, you know, sitting around a TV room with a load of blokes, not my idea of a good time, really. Um and uh, but these these some of these guys were had a, a huge consumption. You know, he could really put it away. Um, and that's uh, we sort of morphed into that. You know, you you kind of you know you just grow into your surroundings, don't you? And um, at that time, uh, which was 1988 in the summer of '88, we'd we'd spent the whole pretty much most of that year on on guard duty because there was. Uh, you know, there's an IRA cell in, in Europe that were taking out camps and um, hitting soldiers on their way back from leave. And uh, we got taken out of that and put on a sailing course in the middle, you know, in, in the Baltic. And um, to cut a long story short, we didn't want to go back, you know. So um, we, we finished this sort of week-long sailing course and me and uh, my three pirates uh we we uh, we um we came back to the camp you know we we got back to kill we went out on the lash we just came back and i don't know it's serendipity you know nobody said let's steal this yacht but we we just started singing pirate songs and we just take <laughs> off for the mid uh we broke into the cookhouse got some got some rations and um, you know, just just slipped off the mooring and 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 ghosted out into the middle of the Baltic Ocean. It um, seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, sounds sound like. I mean, to be honest, I kind of sobered up pretty quickly at that point, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Are you sure you want to do this, lads?" You know, um, but you you know, they were like, "You're either with us, you know, in for a penny type thing, in for a penny, and, in for uh, a pound." Yeah, and your your loyalty. To your blokes on it, so um, you know that's it. It was probably more exciting than what we're going back to. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh, I won't go on about a story. It goes on for a long time. It's uh, there's there's quite a few t- twists and turns to it. But, but you ended um, up. How long did you end up in jail for that? Well, we were dealt with quite fortunately, I have to say. Um, and we actually only got 56 days in, in Colchester for that. Yeah, but that's 56 days of army jail. That's that's uh, not like civilian jail. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it put, it, you know, it's one of them, you only got to say the name and it puts the shits up here. You know, you um, <laughs> people talk about it and stuff and uh, you're just thinking, you know, I'm really up to my neck, you know, and we knew that anyway. We were we'd been investigated by the SIB, and of course the army they want to put it on one person. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? They don't want to ruin yeah. four careers. And you know, I had already been in jail at that point, and I was one of the older ones. So it, it they were pointing the finger firmly at me, but you know, I have to say. <laughs> 
Well, it was a it was a joint it was a joint sort of op really, but um, uh, yeah, we you know we we were under cosh, we were we were kept under close arrest for way longer than what the army should have done. And um, but long story short, we we got dealt with by Peter Billier, Peter de Billier, who's our was our brigadier, and he was he was an SS uh, brigadier at the time, and um, he thought it was good form that we managed to sail this yacht across to um, to Copenhagen. Oh, that's impressive. And, uh, so in in yeah. one week, you learned quite a bit of how to sail. <laughs> Do you know what? Well, you seem to manage. Thing, the funny thing was, all we, all we had was a BAOR roadmap. You know, it was a German army roadmap <laughs> sort of thing. And um, it had this tiny bit of blue on the top of Germany. And, uh, and uh, you know, I remember just... Well, I mean, we did, you know, there's a lot to it, but there were a couple of, there was there was an NCO on board with this other dude that were guarding the, the boat, and they woke up, we were three miles offshore, and uh, we ended up saying, you're either with us or you're going to walk the plank, and we, we put them in a life raft and cast them adrift, which, you know, and I, and I, and I say that with, you know, you know, it's a bit of a heavy heart to to say it because we won't think about consequences, and I wouldn't like to think that. Uh, As young men don't. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, uh, apologies to those two lads, um, and uh, you know, I know they got picked up. They're all right. They're not still out there. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, we basically fell asleep, right? So we we kind of drifting. We could hear the uh, the SC rescue looking for us because um, we were we were. It was the HMS Cormorant, and we we peeled the letters off and put a German flag up. So it was uh, it was now the moron. And um, anyway, we we eventually made it to Copenhagen, but um, and, and we kind of got apprehended there. So. It had a good outcome in the end because they were talking about ten years, you know. Oh God! Well, uh, for 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 those that are not familiar with military jail, I was a guard for all of two weeks, and that's all I oh. needed to know from uh, the guard perspective. Because <laughs> somebody was in the military clink, but um, in Canadian military jail, you can't be there for more than uh, two year two years less a day. If it's anything more than two years less a day. Uh, then you're transferred to civilian jail. It's something different. But um, people tend to never, ever reoffend in military jail because uh, it is it is not the same. <laughs> it is not the same at all. It is extremely rigid and rigorous, and uh, you learn your lesson in military jail. <laughs> I mean, I mean, on that, Mark, I mean, always that is the best course I ever did, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> we were we were, we were, were pretty good when we come out there. And, um, uh, you know, in terms of fitness and, uh, you know, just our admin was uh, was pretty good. You know, certainly, uh, certainly uh, good to go when we got back to the unit. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're quite right. It's the same detail in the UK. You, you, you know, you get two years an hour. I mean, people were astounded when they heard what we'd actually done um, and we only got we got 50 there's people getting nine months for having a punch up in a disco or you know you know glassing something I mean that's horrific getting like two years for and uh, yeah it's a harsh penal system but you know you know how to play the game and uh, 
you work you work through it, take it day by day, and um, yeah, no, I I look back with it on fond memories, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, how else can you do it? You know, you, yeah. you can't look back on that with uh, regret. You got to do it with a smile because it's a hell of a great story. Um, I want to switch gears to Yugoslavia because that's something I understand a little bit. And uh, what got you over to the former Yugoslavia, to Bosnia? Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of, um, it's probably worth saying before that, I, um, I've i been in um, Bosnia, uh, not Bosnia, um, in Kuwait doing the demining, because that's, in terms of sequentially, that follows, one follows the other. So sure. um, um, I... I, uh, after we got out of jail, basically, I, as soon as I could, I, I PVR'd because I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And, um, you know, our cards were marked. Um, and quite rightly, to be honest, you know, we were a bit of a liability, I guess, but at that time. And um, uh, I, got, I got out, uh, went back to the UK and uh, was working in London as a motorcycle dispatch rider. And, okay. and now I got this call because uh, the golf had um, had uh, finished and uh, we had this job to go over there and do all the demining in um, in the oil fields. So, uh, you know, for three months, you know, did that role. Um, you know, that was, that was um, you know, quite a challenging environment to work in, not just, you know, middle of the Q80 summer, you got 200 uh, foot high oil fires, you've got oil all around, you've got mines, you've got cluster bombs, um, you got no backup. I mean, no support, no t- nothing. And um, a truly, ex- truly extreme environment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the route. You know, the commute to work. You're, you're just. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at this this business now with uh, that we've been through and all these masks. We had the same sort of mask, you know, and it's um, in that environment. It's it's a bit of a it was a bit of a joke really, and. Um, in fact, on day day one of the uh, day one of the job, we we met, we got bussed down to the minefields for our intro country brief, and the uh, the chief instructor stood on a mine when he was carrying two anti personnel mines, and ended up uh, losing a leg, uh, being blinded, losing an arm. So the uh, the buses just spun around 180, and we went back to the accommodation. So we never got never got that brief, but. Yeah, it was um, it was quite a challenging environment, you know, and um, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, you know what I mean, because we would just get a brief, go to a grid square, clean all the clean up all the munitions, and um, and all the SOPs were out the window because it was it was like job and not get it all cleared out and, and get back to the camp, you know, um, and after that after that uh, experience, uh, we we went travelling me, me and. The guys that I was with, so um, uh, Robbo, Chris, and um, well, Morph didn't come with us, but we um, uh, came back from being in, in the States, really, so we didn't pay tax really on, on that money. That's the whole idea, do you know what I mean? Um, but uh, I, soon, I soon went back to work, and then this Bosnia thing, in answer to your question, the Bosnia um, uh, job came up, and that was. I say it was a job, but I, I at the time I was working at the Observer newspaper, and I was there. I was their motorcycle dispatch rider, so I'd go to riots, pick up film, go to soccer matches or big events. And this is when we used, you know, cartridge film, you know, the thirty-six exposure. Sure. And um, none, you know, so you'd need physically someone to take it 
from the photographer and, and get it back into um, get it back into the uh, office, right? So he could get on the newspaper. And and uh, essentially, I've got a few pictures in that paper from from Kuwait and other other things. And I had this idea about being a war photographer, and obviously Bosnia was kicking off. And I came across these guys. And so what? Serious. What? What year is so, it now? So this is ninety three. Yeah. So coming in for winter ninety three, and um, I came across these guys, and they were called Serious Road Trip, right? And um, amazing bunch of people. They were like all, you know, Kiwis, South Africans, Australians, Irish, English, but all all sort of really well intended. Loads of enthusiasm about really just getting food from from split into Sarajevo because as you know it was um the blockade was up and you know nothing was getting through and those people getting starved out and these guys were driving yellow Bedford army trucks painted yellow with cartoons on and um it was a great story no one was really there wasn't much nobody telling their story and I came across them and uh thought well I'm going to ditch this job just, you know, because I did feel, I did feel, obviously, that that, cat, that what was going on there was wrong, clearly, and uh, people weren't really taking much notice of it. And so I joined them on a convoy on, um, into into Sarajevo, and we took food um, uh, eventually from Geneva all the way in. And uh, that was the winter. How long, the dri- How long was the drive from Split to Sarajevo? Because for uh, those that uh, don't know, Split is on the Croatian coast, and it was pretty much untouched by the war. It was actually uh, it was still a resort at the time, but more or less. But and there there was still a uh, military presence there from the locals. But um, and then Sarajevo was way inland. So what was the drive like? Ten hours. Uh, no, so it was you couldn't do it in a day. It was over, um, you know, it was over a couple of to two, three days. Really, uh, we stopped at yeah, a place called TSG, which is Thomas Lavgrad, um, and you know, you're going through the Bosnian mountains in winter in old army trucks, Mark One Land Rovers, uh, and it was just, I mean, it was just a pioneering sort of spirit. You know, they were getting stuff done. And, um, you know, you, you come out of Split and you've got all these brand new Land Rovers from the Red Cross just sitting there doing shuffle, do you know what I mean? And, and it used to grip your shit because all this money, you know, they've got the money and it carries on now, right? All these big charities, they have the money and the, and the reach to get the funds in the first place. But they're not often, you know, often they don't they don't sort of meet, uh, you know, actually achieve anything of, of significance. And, and these guys were all about taking positive action, right? So they were, you know, banging banging fists on tables. Look, we go to the British Army say, look, we need diesel for our, our Bedford or we need snow chains, whatever it is, and just demanding it, do you know what I mean, and getting stuff done. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that trip in itself was was pretty difficult, pretty challenging, Um uh, after the first night, you then come to a place called Gorni Vakuf. I don't know if you ever went there. No. And, um, there's a long straight road down. You come down off the high ground into this valley, and it's surrounded by bandits, right? Uh, and the town is just shot to absolute pieces. And we got to this high ground, and they were sort of like, well, this is a bit of a, you know, 
bit of a dodgy uh, place on the ground. So we just sort ourselves out. If we get ambushed, don't stop, just keep moving forward. And uh, I was I was in the lead vehicle in this Mark One Land Rover, you know, sitting over the petrol tank of this thing. And and uh, I was thinking, well, it's not too bad because we got no warrior. The warrior had a warrior escort, but he was outside the turret. Do you know what I mean? I thought it's not too bad. And halfway down this, halfway down this road, the old turret came down, and he uh, started traversing the hillside. And you see a little splash on the wall. Um, people taking sort of pot shots, and you know, it's uh, you know, it sort of focus your attention a little bit. Um, yeah, there's like no, there's nothing quite like the sound of being hatches down in a carrier. Um, how do you describe hatches down? Your your head isn't exposed. You're you're buttoned up. The doors are closed, and you're looking through a little tiny uh, uh, glass. And you hear on the outside, tink, tink, <laughs> tink, and the, that tink is the bullets bouncing off the side. That's uh, <laughs> I know yeah, that sorry, sound. Sorry about that, but um, um, yeah, and we we actually did. Um, we came, we came out of that. Okay, I won't go into too many details, but, um, yeah, it's quite a fork journey. And, you know, then you're coming across, late afternoon, you're coming across, you know, um, improvised checkpoints, and these guys have been on the Suevich all afternoon. And, uh, you know, you know they're, uh, it, it, it's quite an unstable situation, do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm trying to photograph it as well because I want to show, actually, what is going on? These guys, uh, they're, they're robbing the convoys, they're taking the diesel, they're taking their food, they're threatening people. And, um, and often we're doing it for them, for their, for their people. So, um, you know, um, you know, I, I got all my film uh, nicked, uh, nicked off me anyway, so that was the end of that one. But, you know, I did find actually that I couldn't do that job. It was more about... You know, for me, uh, getting hands-on, you know, just you, you kind of got into the subject, if you know. So I, I knew I was not going to make much of a career as a, as a war photographer because I couldn't sit behind a lens. And, you know, hats off to people who can do that. But, uh, you know, I wasn't one of them. But Well, um, that's, that's the challenge of being in a peacekeeping role there as well. Um, yeah. I was there in 94, the summer tour, and wearing a blue hat in that place – where you want to help, you want to do something, and honestly, there's sometimes you want to shoot some people because they need some shooting. You know, they could really use some holes in them, and uh, you can't. You just got to sit there and watch, and that's uh, that that feeling of helplessness when you're wearing the blue hat has got to be a lot like sitting there with a camera, knowing that you got some skills and some ability and the training. Had you only the green light and a rifle so that you could do something about it. But um, but you can't because it's against the rules of engagement. It's uh, that that is a horrendous feeling of helplessness. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I can imagine. I've I've never worked with the UN or been in that role, but I can imagine the rules of engagement are locked down pretty tight. So yeah, whereas for me, you know, we didn't even have a stove, let alone a weapon. So uh, yeah. you know, there's no chance of getting involved. Um, not that I would have wanted to, to be honest. Moving on from Yugoslavia, um, tell me about the blue light mental health, because you are a blue light mental health champion. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, um, 
you know, uh, I suppose it's probably worth saying. So after I sort of came back from Bosnia, um, you know, it's quite it's quite an intense it's quite an intense period, and, no, and nobody's interested, are they? You know, you come back, people don't want to hear it. Um, well, they couldn't. They could not. They couldn't possibly understand anyway, Nick. Uh, that mm-hmm. fucking place uh, at that fucking time. Uh, you can't. You can't describe it to somebody who's not um, hasn't been into a similar place. I mean, there's there's just no describing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you you really get to see uh, the richness of the human spirit. You know what I mean? Because people will will do anything for you. And, and these people I was working with, and um, you know, all civvies. The majority of them were civvies, you know, really well intended. And maybe they had an advantage because they were kind of quite ignorant to the risks potentially they're putting themselves under. But there's a, a mate of mine, uh, um, Graham, who I linked up with actually uh, just recently. He's, he's a bulletproof counsellor. Take a look at him. He's a top guy. It'd be good for your show. But, um, you know, I mean, he, he was ex-UK military airborne and... Uh, you know, you form some really good relationships, even if you just, you know, as I did with Graham, we, we were kind of just crossed over because I was going out and he was coming in. But I I didn't forget him. This is the thing. And, uh, you know, this is the thing about sort of connecting with people and linking up with people. And when you're in those kind of environments, you you make some, you know, some real strong sort of connections, don't you? Yeah, you do. The uh, There's a handful. You know, there's a handful of brothers that uh, there's absolutely anything I would do. Even if I haven't talked to them in 20 years, I don't care. If they needed me, I'd be there. And I'm pretty sure that, that goes both ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to be honest, speaking with Graham, uh, he, he's researched a lot about this because he, he, he went into being a paramedic afterwards. And uh, I mean, I'll be honest, it flipped me out for a couple of days because I don't really you know, tend to think about this stuff too much, but um, I'm really pleased to know that he's uh, that he's good. You know, um, yeah. when I, as I was saying, when I came back uh, to this country, you know, my my life was upside down. You know, I was I was in debt because I just walked away from a, a house, a relationship, a job, uh, and it all it pretty much all imploded in terms of. Um, you know, I wasn't doing any work, wasn't paying a mortgage, going to lose my house. Uh, you know, all these these sort of layers of kind of stress came in. And again, I'm just a civvy, right? So nobody's there to decompress. There's no decompression at all, obviously. And my knowledge of stress management at that time was really poor. Obviously, it equated to drinking. You know, if you're wound sure. up, go for a drink. And uh, we all know where that ends. And it's not, it's not a uh, particularly uh, positive outcome. And over the course of that year, 94 this is, midway, 94, getting to end of 94, I was I was clutching at straws, you know, massively clutching at straws. I wasn't sleeping right. I uh, couldn't really work, as I said to you, so I thought I'll go and do, I'll sign on for a, a degree course. And no, in, no chance of finishing a degree. I couldn't focus on anything. But... Um, uh, yeah, it unraveled fairly rapidly, um, you know, not sleeping, not eating properly. My guts were in terrible, you know, real bad. I couldn't understand what was going on, but then I realised you hadn't been eating for two weeks and you hadn't slept and you were drinking 
I mean, uh, you know, it's not a great, it's not a great combination. Um, and there was nobody to relate to, nobody to speak to, not even people that I worked with, because some of them were still out there. Um, and yeah, eventually he did go to the doctors, and he said, "Oh, I think you know, you might have X, Y, and Z." And I just disregarded it. You know, I was like, "What are you want about?" You know, I so you know, I just I couldn't accept it. Sort of uh, is the is the answer. But eventually, you know, you do accept it. You know, and and they kind of put for me, they put two and two together and said, "Well, you're you're an ex soldier. You've been in QA, Bosnia, uh, and blah blah blah. You've got PTSD and stuff." And what what year was that? So that would have been um, that was end of ninety four. You uh, lucky bastard to 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 have a diagnosis that early. I was undiagnosed for well over twenty years. So yeah. you know, if you don't know what it is, you can't get a handle on it. So when when you got the diagnosis, what was the first thing that you did for help? Well, I didn't do anything. Yeah, I didn't get any. Um, I mean, at that time. He he mentioned it, this my doctor, because he was uh, he was also had been in the military, but there was very little known about you know, and I don't even like to, and it's only till recently I've kind of I've re you know looked at that again, um, but you know in my mind I was thinking well you've kind of brought this on yourself, do you know what I mean through through your behaviours, i.e. Self medicating, your drinking, and all that kind of stuff, and you all you've done is you, you kind of um, you stressed yourself out. You know, he, his diagnosis was you know, I, I got to see one psychiatrist, and basically they're just telling you what pills to take, which yeah. I, I wasn't going to go down. And I saw, I saw a psych, uh, psychi- psychiatrist, psychologist, sorry, for, for like one session, and um one or two sessions and that was it and um, I wasn't about to take uh, medication you know I didn't I didn't want to go down that route I didn't you know I'd seen my mum uh, sadly uh, she was on like Valium for years um, after I lost after we lost our dad and you know I, I just couldn't face it I couldn't face going down that road so essentially I just kind of I kind of pulled the button down the hatches as we were talking about earlier into my house and just um, you know, dealt with it. So how how did you how did you deal with it? Can well, you, can first you... and foremost, I did I did um, uh, see this Chinese herbalist. Right, that's one thing. Interesting. Uh, so I'm not I'm not conventional in terms of my thinking. You know, I'm, so it's critical thinking. I'll, I'll question stuff. You well, know it's, what I mean? and, it's conventional in China. Yeah, exactly. He made up these potions, right, of uh, God knows why, to go and buy all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's you as quickly as you can get yourself in a difficult situation, you, you, you do make some slight gains if you change your behaviours, like, pretty, pretty drastically. So what I'm talking about is focusing on good sleep and good nutrition and food, and then obviously taking away all stimulants. I mean, I didn't drink coffee, tea, nothing. I was having these, uh, I was having acupuncture three times a week. I was having these uh, herbal remedies. And I and I believed that it was doing me good. But it took, it took a long time, you know, and I can't even remember how long it took, I'll be honest, you know, but it was, 
I was in a position where I didn't want to leave the house. Um, I, I, you know, walking around the street was difficult. You know, you wouldn't get dressed, that kind of stuff. Um, I was, I was careful what I listened to and uh, even some music would, would trigger things and, uh, you know, just try and talk to good people, which is I, your family, uh, at that stage, you know, uh, Jack and my mum. So, um, but it went on for a while and, um, uh, to, to get to a point where I could walk around the block. And I, I suppose what I did was what you do in basic training, which their methodology, which is to break, break it down and build it back up again. So I knew I was only, could only go one way. Because where I, the place that I'd been was, you know, the darkest, the darkest uh, part of my life, you know, in terms of, you know, those, uh, wait, you know, waking up drenched in sweat and, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, you know, that real sense of doom, just that knot in your stomach all the time. And, um to live with that, you know, you dread going to sleep. Absolutely dread it, you know. Um, so, um, <clears throat> take your time, Nick. It's okay. Let's take a pause. Yeah. All right. After a short break, we are back. Every now and then you just got to take a breath and that is okay. So where we were at just a moment ago was the breakthrough moment. Keep going, Nick. <laughs> Good stuff, Mark. Yeah. So um, you do make these breakthroughs and you start with the, the little steps around the, around the, uh, around your local neighborhood and then you're into the hills and then you're running again and, uh, you're, you're out there and you're meeting good people and, um, you know, you follow this, you know, mantra, if you like. You follow a good, healthy mantra and um, if you do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff, you know, you, you can pick yourself up. But, you know, it was really just tighten up the kind of uh, boot buckles and get on with it, you know. Um, but I was fortunate in that uh, a mate of mine was a builder, and he said, Nick, said, it was a lovely summer. He said, look, come and dig some holes first, right? And I'm like, I'm an engineer, right? If there's one thing I can do is dig holes. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I spent the, uh, spent the uh, summer getting strong, really, you know, physically strong, digging these holes for him and uh, soaking up the sun. And it, it was, um, yeah, it seemed to do the trick. I, I would say my confidence still you know, was down a bit, but it's because you think you're exposed to everyone. People can un look straight into you and think, you know, uh, all this stuff that has gone on. But, of course, nobody, A, gives a shit, or B, can do that anyway. So some <laughs> of right. only to um, respond to what's in front of them. And that is, that is quite, a, quite a good lesson, actually. Um, that you can bluff your case. Do you know what I mean? Even and we we know that anyway, don't we? In terms of you know uh, inside your head, you could be like flapping big time. You mm. know, getting tasked with something or getting asked to do 
all this stuff, whatever it might be. And you we, think, we commonly, no commonly call it the mask. I actually did a spoken word piece that I wrote and performed. Um, I forget which episode it is, episode 60, maybe, just guessing. But uh, yeah, the mask. It's, uh, we get pretty good at it. I mean, I'm really referring to normal work, Mark, when somebody asks you to do something that you can't do or you don't think you can do. Yeah. And instead of flipping, you know, you just work your way through it, can't you? But um, uh, uh, essentially what happened then was I got a job in a, in a gym. And uh, that was a great place to be. I was mentored by a guy there, uh, Barry. And, uh, yeah, he, t- he told me about look, lifelong learning, you know, you know, I didn't know my story, but that was his thing because I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now. I'm starting from scratch. But, um, you know, that was his thing. It was all about lifelong learning, you know, this uh, pursuit of personal development and all this kind of stuff. And it was a great environment. So I, I picked up mountain leadership skills in there. I was teaching climbing, you know, sport. I was training every day. And... Um, this is a really long-winded answer to your that's, really that's all right. question, isn't it? Yeah, but um, but yeah, within I would say in the space of three years, I'd um, I'd re-enlisted into the army, and uh, I'd got you know I passed um, to get into the fire service. So and and I got married. I mean, it all it all sort of just started opening up these through the work that I did, you know, uh, hard work and. Um, you know things you know life doesn't have to be that complicated you know you can uh, keep it simple as they say so um, I mean very fortunate took the opportunities that, that sort of come my way you know so tell me about the birth of Trident Adventure that's pretty new still yeah Trident is a is a um it was in 2019 when I left the um when I left the fire service and um that was about, uh, well, really, you know, uh, when I re-enlisted, I did, um, uh, you know, re-enlisted back into the army and I did um, SAS selection with with, uh, with, uh, with the reserve, yeah, t- a tier two reserve unit. And, um, uh, uh, and you know, obviously I passed and, and spent eight years with them. And fortunately in that experience, I'd, uh, I'd spent a month with the Swedish um, special forces and it was just such a fantastic, I mean, they're really good hosts, really good blokes. And um, I just said to myself, when I, when I leave, when I, uh, you know, leave the fire service, I'm going to start my, uh, start an expedition company and go back there and take people because there's no place like it to sort of test your metal. You know what I mean? Uh, the environment is just incredible. Uh, you can learn a real good set of drills there that will serve you well anywhere in any expedition setting. You know, because you, you, your drills are like, you know, you've got to be really tight, you know, and, and your personal admin. And, um, you know, some just an unrivaled landscape. It's just a tranquility. You know, you can imagine it. The, the, you know the land the, the white just the white emptiness there's no sound you know because snow as you probably know we're better than where you are is um, <laughs> it's all the sound is absorbed in the snow and you know you just come across footprints of like wild, arctic fox or wolf or, or reindeer and you're just skiing hut to hut and you've got to stay on top of your game and um there's something about there's something energetic about the high north that if you haven't done it, 
it's a feeling, it's a sense. The the furthest north I think I've been is Dawson City, Yukon. And uh, was there in November of '93 for our uh, sovereignty exercise, because every now and then you got to go up north and flex your muscles just to say, "Hey, this is still our land." And um, there, there's a sense of adventure up there that is tangible. You can feel it, you can smell it, you can taste it, and it's uh, that's why there's a lot of people that go for a visit and they don't come back. They just stay. It's like I, I want to keep this feeling. Uh, and and it's worth the bitter cold in the winter for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think once you step foot in that environment, you you just uh, you know you're hooked. You know, you're wide eyed. Um, you know, we get them. We get them on day one, and um, you know, make a hole in the ice. They get into the ice. They into the water. They learn those drills about ice breaking drills. Um, you know, everybody goes through it. Uh, obviously, you know, and it's, in some ways, it's like jumping out of an aircraft. You know, when uh, when you do your power power training in in the unit, it's something you know not quite right. You shouldn't be jumping out in the same way. You shouldn't be jumping into this water fully clothed. It's um, or, or like walking into a fire if you like. It's the same same kind of thing. But you know, you're just reliant on your training and the people around you. And that and that's kind of what we're all about, really. It's it's taking people on authentic, sort of challenging, uh, unique experiences with good, like-minded people. And you know, um, it's led by myself and a colleague of mine, Nick, who I was in, who was in uh, the SAS with me in, in Afghanistan, and um, he now runs Elite Outdoor Fitness in the UK, and he's just a machine, I tell you. He, that's what. Don't tell him this, but that's the only reason he's there is to carry my Bergen, really. If, um, if I can't, I can't carry my kit. But he, he's really good company, and um, we work together on it. And the people who come on the trips just they just love it because you know you've got all this positivity, you know, and it's uh, it's about doing stuff with good people. And um, yeah, we're on about we're we're about building a, a community, and uh, I call them brave souls, you know, um, and. Uh, you know, it's it's all led by veterans, and it's just an escape for most people from the ordinary, ordinary, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of daily existence, if you like. It's it's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So, where and in the you, Arctic have you been? So, yeah. Where in the Arctic have you been? So we go um, two hundred uh, two hundred miles north of the Arctic Circle. Uh, it's in Abisko National Park. And it, it's where I uh, where I serve with the Swedish um, SF mob, and uh, it's just magic. It's a magical place. I mean, um, uh, so that's that's where we are. And what we do is we ski out to the Norwegian border, and there's um, an SOE base uh, from World War Two. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the SOE. No, I'm not. So, that, so the SOE was the Special Operations Executive, and that was formed uh, in the Second World War. It was it was really agents. Um, uh, they they were given specific missions in terms of supporting a resistance network or uh, gathering information, ground truth, or reporting back. And um, so this is a base that's still there. You know, the location is still there. You can ski to the hut and. Um, you know, it's just a bit of interest, you know. It's it's not a kind of um, military, re, you know, tour as such. 
but it's just it's just a point of interest because you got you know you go into the to the board and you and you, you can stand in the same footprints and uh, you know it, it's, uh, it's it's something special really to be honest and we then ski over a mountain back into Sweden and back onto the Arctic Express train and, and get out of there but it's uh, it's a brilliant trip and uh, you're welcome to join us Mark be my guest. Son of a gun, I'm in. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll give me an excuse to get back into shape. Um, so is it just veterans that goes with you or? No, it's, it's led by veterans. So we're, okay. we're really a, a purpose-driven business. And, you know, obviously, you know, my background is military and emergency responders and, um you know, I want to kind of support that community, uh, obviously. And so we employ veterans or emergency responders as, as the DS, if you like, as the guides. And um, uh, But people who come on the trips are all shapes and sizes. So we've, you know, we have, um, you know, ultra runners to, to fun runners, you know, and everything in between. As long as you're, you're mobile and you're motivated, and this is where I work with my partner, Nick, um, business partner, Nick. And um, he, he will train people in it with, his, with his business. And, and we kind of put on a, we put on a pre-train, you know, deployment training. It, it's, really, it's really wrapped around military adventure training. So you don't just dump somebody. You don't know, you know, it's not like people who come on the trips don't know us and they don't know who they're with. You know, we're building... So I'm saying we're on about building a community. And um, so they come from all walks of life. We do have some veterans who, who come on the trip as well. Um, and, and, again, we go to Morocco. We go across the Pyrenees. Where, uh, I mean, 2020, uh, 2020 was our big year, right? And then look what happened. Yeah. So how are you working around COVID, or has COVID got you at a standstill now? No, I mean, you know... It, you adapt, don't you? We're, we're fairly agile people, and uh, you can't do X, so you do Y. And uh, you know, I'm working in risk management, and that that's paying my bills and stuff. And I'm working in the background, um, building networks. You know, I want to collaborate with people, and this is the thing I want to collaborate in terms of doing something for that community because you know, people, everyday folk, if you like. They, they are so, um, you know, they're so stoked after they come back from these experiences. And, you know, and it kind of goes back to my own lived experiences. When I, you know, I needed something really significant to focus on, um, to switch, uh, switch focus from that sort of dark period of my life, if you like, and, and look at something that was, you know, a lot bigger than I was. It was potentially out of my, you know, out of my uh, reach, and that was that was to do uh, selection for for two one SAS, and um, you know that took me eighteen months. You know, I had this goal, I had a clear vision, a single-minded uh, focus, you know, on on achieving that, and there was nothing going to stop me from doing it. Um, and and you know at the end of the day is one of one of five guys who passed and um, you know that was, for me that was a significant achievement and just to stay in that company for that period of time and get deployed you know it's it, uh, you know it's 
a really proud moment, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity. It really is a great opportunity. And I'd say to anybody, you know, that wanted to do some, have a go at something like that, have a, have a go at it. And, uh, what, what too many people don't understand is that through the, the path to a sense of true accomplishment and adventure is not an easy one, but that's what makes it good. If it's easy, there's no real sense of, oh, my God, look what I did. There's no true sense of accomplishment that is internalized. Uh, the, there's a term that I just love, embrace the suck. And uh, uh, when you're cold and wet and tired and sore and pushing through ridiculous pain and blisters, when you get to where you're going... You, you can look back and go, oh my God, look what I just did. Look what I pushed through. You've said a few times about testing your metal. Most people haven't, but they can whenever they choose. They can choose to test their metal. But I, I fear that too many people are not, don't have the courage to test it because they don't want to know what the answer is. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just add to that actually, Mark. And I think it's hard. It's hard now. It's hard for... You know, it's hard for civilians really to to have to find that opportunity. You know, I, I think it is. You know, it's difficult. These these experiences are difficult to find. You know, and um, obviously we we uh, face them when we're in the military, and uh, you know, whether in infantry or whatever unit you're in, you you're constantly being challenged, aren't you? You're constantly mm-hmm. being challenged. You can't rest on your laurels. You passed out of basic. You've done this. You've done that. I mean, there was always that threat. If you, you know, if you drop off the curve, you, you're kind of out. You know what I mean? Because it's the whole organisational reputation and the the work that you get to do and the opportunities you get to do. I mean, you look in civilians, you know, in the civilian world. Um, you know, outside of emergency responders and a few other careers, it, it's. You know, it's difficult to find where people can really test themselves. And, and, and going on adventures or, you know, they, they give you a real positive mental reference point. You know, when I, when I did um, selection, you know, when you do test week, you do the marches, you do endurance, um, you know, I, I had nothing left to give. I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely spent force, you know, with no... You know, not even mildly exaggerating. I was in, I was in complete bits, and um, I mean, it didn't help the fact that halfway through kind of test week, I got, um, I got septicemia in my foot, and um, I also inverted my ankle. And the last kind of the last sort of day and tab you do, you do, um, you do a short tab in the day, and then you do the big, you know, sort of sixty-four k tab carrying you know 80 pounds or whatever with all your food and water and you know we we uh you have you have to walk down obviously to get onto the trucks to get driven to this start point and i and i and i literally i couldn't walk i was in a position where i couldn't walk down downhill i had to crab sideways i mean i was in complete clip but i knew this you know that was my only opportunity because of my age um, I wasn't going to get a second um, a second opportunity, um, so for me it was there was no option. I had to get around that course, um, and it was I was in I was just taking 
I think they're called DF118s or, you know, some really quite strong painkillers, normally prescription painkillers to get around this course. It was, you know, you start at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's snow on the ground, there's, I mean, you're climbing up a mountain. I could actually walk uphill. What I couldn't do was make up the time on the downhill on the flats. So I was really up against it, and you, you know, to make that cut-off time. Um, but I knew on that, on that, you know, on that event, which was like best part of 20, 20 odd hours for me. I mean, people can get around it quicker if they got no injuries, but for me, it was uh, sort of twenty plus hours. You know, I was, I was literally on the line. You know, I, nothing left, nothing at all left in the locker. So I, I know where I can get to. Do you know what I mean? And um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a reference point. And, and you know, I think it's difficult for in, in um, you know, you can you can get these things on on um, on races. You know, people do, you know, they do all sorts of endurance ultra races and stuff like that. But, uh, you, you know, so you can cuff it for a day or whatever. But over time, you know, and when you've got to kind of administer yourself as well, I think, you know, going on, well, obviously these kind of adventures is, is I mean, it's nothing like selection, don't get me wrong, but it's um, it's a, it's an opportunity where you can, where you, you know, for personal growth, you know, it's, it's don't get me wrong, it's not, it's not a boot camp, it's not a holiday, but it, it's an incredible experience and people just love it, you know, um, they love, uh, you know, we, we love seeing them. You know, you've you got a tear in your eye and you say goodbye to them, you know. it's uh, For people that are great. looking for some adventure, Nick, looking for some adventure and looking to test their mettle, how do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Well, so we, we're on we're on all socials and uh, Trident Adventure is the website, tridentadventure.com. Um, and again, obviously we're on, we're on uh, Insta and Facebook. And um, we're hopefully planning, you know, in Morocco at the end of this year, towards the end of this year. We've we've worked a lot out there. Um, and it, it's Morocco is a place that I'd like to, um, you know, use as a base and take take people that have uh, maybe overcoming their own mental health challenges um, from that community, from veterans or blue light community. Why Morocco? Um, Morocco, I'll tell you, that, that, that place is... In terms of your biggest bang for your buck, you know, especially from the UK, three hours, you're in North Africa. You've got the culture. The people, it's a Muslim community, but the people are lovely, really beautiful, real nice mountain people. The Berbers, the landscapes, uh, it's harsh, it's challenging, but it's, uh, you know, it's breathtaking. Well, I do want to um, ch- I do want to check out Morocco. I've seen it from the Rock of Gibraltar because I was lucky to be yeah. there on a nice clear day, so I could see it with the naked eye. But that's as close as I've been. Well, I mean, um, you know, through the, the powers of uh, the internet, you know, we've we've linked up and we've we've had people on our trips come from Australia. So Canada's way uh, way closer, and uh, <laughs> linked up with one of your countrymen recently who um, who puts who puts trips on, and he he wants to collaborate on trips, and um, yeah, uh, and I'm all up for that, and especially. You know, I'm pretty ambitious with regard to what we can do, what we can do for our community. What you know, which is a side, it's a it's a side issue from the commercial side of Trident. But you know, I'm pretty ambitious that we can use that model 
and apply it to that community and um, weave in some good learn behaviors, you know, being around good people and uh, walking and talking, uh, doing some cold water therapy, all that kind of stuff, you know, and just helping people um, find a bit of space, you know, and uh, talking, talking like we are, you know what I mean? There you go. Nick Wildman, thank you for being on Operation Tango Romeo, brother. Uh, it's great to uh, hook up with you, Mark, and uh, come and join us, yeah? I am terrified <laughs> at the at the prospect of it, which means I should definitely do it. The, the, uh, the other thing, Mark, I, I was going to say, and, and, and I've heard it in referenced a couple of times about, you know, um, the veteran community not being well served in, in the UK, and um, I think... You know, from my experience, it's it's getting a lot better. It, there are That's there good. are groups out there. Uh, it's getting better. I'm getting mentored at the moment by an organisation called Heropreneurs, <laughs> and um, yeah, I know it's a, it's a nice one. But really good people, uh, business, you know, very successful business people, and they're purely to help veterans in their businesses. And um, so there are there are people out there, you know, in that community, and they want to get something going hook up with them and there's you know just get onto the internet there is there are a load of um, resources out there and small groups uh, like uh, Kev Bland's leg up group you know it's 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 good people mate they're good people out there doing some good stuff so um, roger that uh, I wouldn't want to paint a a two and a poor picture on the UK we're catching up with you guys outstanding Nick Wildman, thank you for being on the show. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. For the full show list, visit OperationTraumaRecovery.org. That's OperationTraumaRecovery.org. Or go to your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Google, Anchor.fm, whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back. And look for Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.